Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihil kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Okay, continuing our exploration of the first section of Surah Al-Baqarah. Uh, let me just get this chat screen uh, over here. So uh, the same thing I'm going to request is that if you have questions, feel free to ask, but I'm going to try to avoid answering your questions until we get to uh, the, the end of class, inshallah. And, uh, and hopefully that should work. If there are super urgent questions, then inshallah we can, we can, we can try to uh, address them, but uh, most of the time the question can be uh, delayed. Okay, so <clears throat> we are still in this first subsection of Surah Al-Fatiha, of Surah Al-Baqarah, in which we are looking at the attributes of the people of Taqwa, which is what we're about to finish shortly. And we said that the Taqwa itself translates as shielding yourself with Allah, although in contemporary parlance, it would translate as, as having fear of Allah. And then we gave six attributes of the people of Taqwa. They believe in the unseen, they establish Salah, they give to the point of exhaustion of what we have bestowed upon them, we being Allah. They believe in what has been revealed to you, meaning Muhammad, peace be upon him. They believe in the revelation sent down to those before him. And then the last one we're gonna talk about uh, in a moment, certain, there are certain of the hereafter. And for each of these attributes, we also parallel them with, with Alif Lam Mim. And, and the idea being that with Alif Lam Mim, I am accepting that there's limits to my intellect and there's knowledge beyond my knowledge and Allah is not bound by my limits. Belief in the unseen is I be, uh, I'm believing that there is a world beyond my perception, maybe many worlds beyond my perception and Allah is not bound by what I perceive nor is he bound by, by all these worlds. And then for establishing Salah, we said that at the individual level, we're just uh, for establishing Salah, we said that there is, uh, that there is efficacy, there is effectiveness of <coughs> performing these steps in, these, in this, uh, uh, this particular order. And these, the efficacy may not be something immediately apparent. For some of us, it may not even be apparent until we're on the other side, and for some of us, it'll be apparent uh, on, on this side, inshallah. And then for giving uh, to the point of exhaustion, giving, we said, what is it that makes it hard to give? It's when I'm afraid I might need this money tomorrow. So I've had this money, I've had this money for a long time, I haven't needed it, but perhaps I might need it tomorrow, and thus it makes it hard for me to give. But what I'm saying is that the source of my wealth is from beyond this world, it is Allah, as well as the source of any struggle I would be hit with is from uh, uh, beyond this world. And then in terms of believing the revelation sent down to you, Muhammad, and to, sent down to those before you, we said with the prophet, peace be upon him, he received the, the kitab and the sunnah. And, um, and then uh, uh, the sunnah, we also distinguish between being uh, what is hadith versus what is sunnah. And we also said that there were, uh, in terms of the revelation sent down to those before him, this speaks of all the previous prophets of which we said there's 120,000, 124,000 of them. And then uh, in terms of the number of, of messengers, 
uh, and a number of scriptures, there's 313 in our history, with the Quran being the completion of it all, meaning with the Quran, everything else immediately expires. Okay, <clears throat> so the question that I left us with was, was asking you, tell me something, anything that you are absolutely certain about. What would be your answers to this question? Something you are without doubt absolutely certain about. Okay, uh, Laiba says my mortality. Olfat says death. Okay, it's, um, the existence of Allah. So, Ahant, you are absolutely without doubt certain uh, about the existence of Allah, yeah? Okay. Absolutely. MashaAllah. Wow. Okay. Uh, consciousness. So, so Stephanie and Leith, you are absolutely certain that there is consciousness or that you have consciousness. And then Sammy, you are absolutely without doubt certain that you exist. Yeah? Without doubt, you are certain you exist. Uh, we have death, death, death. Uh, Thorazan says, I have three kids. You are certain without doubt you have three kids. Yeah. Uh, Hannah, uh, uh, Hannah, I don't want to keep calling you Hannah, but I probably guess everybody at work does. Um, you're certain about death. Okay. Sadia, you, says, you, you say you're certain about death, the sun, and the moon. Yeah. Um, Shazia, uh, you are certain about hunger or the fact that you have hunger? Death tambien. Oh, mashallah. I didn't realize Abdullah is, is multilingual. Okay. Uh, Saren, you are absolutely certain about the past. Shazia is absolutely certain she has hunger. Mashallah. Ramya, you are absolutely certain you don't know anything. Or, no, no, you don't know everything. Mashallah. Okay. And so, so other Stephanie says, certain of death and taxes. Okay. So, so Hannah says that I know nothing. You're ignoring the death part. Uh, um, yeah, Dr. Malahad, like half the people have said death. Okay. Uh, what were some of the other ones from above? Okay, that Rami says, I can't know everything. Okay, Sammy is, is, is getting really smart with the Latin and Descartes, so I think, therefore I am, so therefore you're absolutely certain you think. Suleiman says one plus one equals two, but what if I'm an accountant? Then one uh, plus one equals zero. Okay, uh, what else? I am certain at how Donald Trump is. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. <clears throat> okay, Mitra, you are absolutely, without doubt, certain there is one God. Yeah? MashaAllah. MashaAllah. Okay. So I'm impressed by, by the level of Iman, of Yaqeen, that, that so many of you have. So think of how we defined uh, uh, Iman. We didn't define it really as faith. When we speak of faith very often in our contemporary culture, we speak of it as something I take as true, but I can't prove it. it there, but I trust that it is true. And when we're speaking of Iman, we're speaking of something that I am secure in the truth of it. So it's not something I'm trusting to be true, to have Iman is I am secure in the truth of it. And then if my, secure, my security is so strong that people start feeling secure just by being in my company. Uh, in the same way that 
Uh, it's often very easy to make extra prayers when you're in the company of other people, and that might seem insincere, but your iman is stronger when you're in the company of other people that have, uh, uh, have uh, uh, iman. Okay, <clears throat> so here's the question. Not a single one of you said that you're certain of the hereafter. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Everyone's certain of God. No one claimed to be certain of the hereafter. So the people of Taqwa have certainty of the hereafter, which would then imply conceptually certainty of God, certainty of the prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, that's just a given. Okay, you sure? You sure? <laughs> okay. okay, so... So let's take this point a step further. If I have absolute certainty of the hereafter, then, then what does that mean about my contact, con, uh, con, uh, conduct? What do you think? Uh, share this class with, uh, okay, okay. Um, why would belief in the hereafter imply certainty of God? Shouldn't it be the other way around? Okay, good question. We'll get to that for uh, the uh, inshallah. If I have certainty of the hereafter, what will that reveal of my conduct? How will that manifest in the way I conduct myself? So, someone has saying that I have to pay attention to my conduct, good conduct is rewarded, bad conduct is punished. So, if, we're, if I had certainty of the hereafter, we're saying from the moment I wake up until I uh, were at this point, yes, I would be perfectly upright. And if I make mistakes, I would be very soon after that seeking forgiveness. So if I have certainty in the hereafter, I'm going to have this consistent consciousness of the hereafter. The fact that everything I do has consequences, especially in my life in the hereafter. I mean, this is a side point when, uh, when Muslims started reaching China and they're trying to figure out how to practice Islam in China. Some of you know this from Dr. Omar's lectures. Uh, they didn't call it Islam. They call it the path of two returns. The idea being that every one of your actions has a consequence in the next life as well as a consequence in, in this life. If I have taqwa, then I am definitely seeing that my actions have consequences ultimately in the day of judgment, which would then affect my conduct throughout my day. Again, as a human, I will make mistakes that will fall short, but shortly after that, I will also be seeking forgiveness because of being reminded again of my uh, of my akhirah. So yeah, uh, you'd be watching your actions at every moment. Uh, you'd have much more sabr. You'd have much more of a consciousness of your accountability. All of those things. You'd be perfectly upright. So what else do we see about the people of taqwa? This is in their consciousness. Certainty of the hereafter. And then the consequences of that action, of that, of that, uh, that consciousness. And so all of these six then get sum up, summed up in Ayah 5. These are the people that are on guidance. 
from their rub, from their nourisher, which makes sense at the beginning of the section, at the end of I2, it says, this is guidance for those who have taqwa, that those people of taqwa have these six attributes, and those of these six attributes are on guidance from uh, their rub, their nourisher. And it also says, that these people um, uh, have are successful. Muflihun falah comes from farming, and so it would another way to translate this is these are people who have cultivated themselves. And so, <clears throat> what is the success of the person of taqwa? One, of course, inshallah, is paradise. What else in this world would be the success of the person of taqwa? How would you answer that question? To have love of Allah? Uh, I, I would say absolutely that. And here we'd speak of being pleased with Allah. If you are pleased with Allah, uh, the person who said sense of tranquility, just so you know, uh, that's only being sent to me. I don't know if you, if you want to send it to the whole group. If you are pleased with Allah, Allah is pleased with you. Meaning, the fact that Allah is pleased with you is manifested in you being pleased with Allah. Which also means what? That you are pleased with what Allah is putting before you. Remember, all the way at the beginning, we spoke of these different... Uh, we spoke of these different tests that you're going to be hit with in life, the test of obedience, the test of ease, the test of suffer struggle, the test of difficult decisions, and then the last of forgiveness, seeking forgiveness for all the times you fall short of the first four. Whatever it is that Allah hits you, you're pleased with. Now imagine trying to be at that state. That's a state of thorough gratitude. And thus we would call that in our language a state of contentment. And so as Farzan said, they have peace. So they have this tranquility within themselves. Sammy says they have peace with everything that happens to them, good and bad, yes. Now, an important point to think about where we start parting away from Buddhism. Both of us are saying that there's struggle as a foundation of this world. That in Buddhist tradition, one of the four truths is, is the truth of suffering. Another one is the path that leads out of suffering. We're saying there's definitely suffering in the world. But our approach is actually still to be in and love the world. It's just that the world doesn't control you. Meaning the prophet, peace be upon him, had favorite things, right? He had favorite smells. He loved good smells. He used to like riding on horses. He loved women. He loved Aisha in particular, right? And, and then even when the companions are asking him, you know, do you love me as much as you love Abu Bakr? No, I don't love you as much as I love Abu Bakr. He's even being straightforward and he even loves people at different levels. And so the point is that ours is not a path of, of breaking off uh, attachments. Ours is breaking off our submission and directing our submission to Allah Ta'ala. So like we say, you know, you have the world in your hand, not in your heart. Or you have the world, you, you, you may love the world, but it doesn't consume you. So yeah, unless you have peace with everything. Um, okay, so these are the people of Taqwa. Now we have the second model. So he said, Ayas, uh, let me just type it here. Okay, and then 
model two. This is IS six and seven. Again, for some very basic definitions. Gopher here, now we're talking about gopher. I've introduced gopher in contrast to ingratitude before. So gopher, like falah, comes from agriculture. And what is it? It's you're planting a seed and then you cover it up, you bury the seed as though it's not there anymore. That's gopher in terms of its etymology. Now, uh, here we have to clarify the definition of being a kafir. I mean, a kafir is one who does kufr. Being a kafir in our different fields of the Islamic sciences. So in the Quranic outlook, uh, even though you know the seed is there, yeah, but you may forget that the seed is there. Uh, in our Quranic outlook, which focuses on the whole person, uh, kufr is a condition of the heart when, when you feel a compulsion to turn to Allah, and you suppress that compulsion. That is gopher. Gopher. When you feel a compulsion to turn to Allah and you suppress that compulsion. So what am I saying? Within the Quranic lens, gopher is not the same as being a non-Muslim. Because in the Quranic lens, you are talking about the whole person what they show on the outside, as well as uh, other chronic lenses also looking at the condition of the heart. So it's one, a condition of the heart, but you can, by virtue of action, also be a kafir. And that is when you are attacking believers just because they believe in Allah. That is the act of kufr. Yeah. Uh, kufr is not necessarily disbelief, Maha. That's the point we're making. So, so, so do we see in the Quranic lens, uh, being a non-Muslim is not the same as being a kafir. Rejection is essentially what we're saying. So if we change it from disbelief to rejection of faith, then yes. Now, where is that compulsion coming from? Uh, the compulsion could be coming from someone who has called me to God and for some reason, uh, they've gotten the message through to me and I feel compelled to turn to Allah. Or it could be that I'm all by myself and I feel uh, I'm reflecting about life and then I feel compelled to turn to Allah. No one else is around me. So all these would be, would be uh, parts of Gufa. Yeah. So that's in the Quranic lens, which is what we're looking at. Now... <clears throat> Uh, 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 in the realm of Islamic law, in the realm of Islamic law, we are only seeing action. Okay. In the realm of Islamic law, we are only seeing what is external. And therefore, either you're Muslim or you're not. So therefore, either you're Muslim or you're Kafir. Okay. In the realm of Islamic law, and what does that mean? Uh, a hypocrite is not a legal category. Because being a hypocrite means I'm a Muslim, but inside I'm a kafir. That's not a category in Islamic law, right? They don't have a special class of law. Now, within that, 
uh, there's also another category, Ahl al-Kitab, people of the book, and that's its own separate category that's sort of just its own, you know, it's sort of different than uh, being a, a Muslim or a Kafir. In Islamic law, again, looking uh, uh, at your externals, Islam and Iman are basically the same thing. When we're speaking of the Quranic lens, which is not, which is focused not just on your external, but also on your internal, then Iman is a condition of the heart. Islam is what you're doing on the outside. Okay, so this is what it means to be a kafir. So now let's look at ayah six and seven. Okay. As for those who have rejected. Many translations say as for those who disbelieve. No, as for those uh, who have rejected. Kafaru, past tense, plural. As for those who have rejected. Sawa'un alayhim. It's the same for them. If you warn them or if you do not warn them. Uh, Islamic law only relates to externals, yes. It is the same to them if you warn them or do not warn them. La They do not believe, they will not believe. Okay. So as for those who have rejected, it's the same for them if you warn them or not. They don't believe, they're not going to believe. Yeah. And then ayah 7. So, Allah has sealed or put a seal on their hearts and on their hearing and on their sight and on their sight a veil, a covering. And for them is a horrendous torment. So ayah six, as for those who have rejected, it's all the same to them. If you warn them or don't warn them, they're not going to believe. Ayah seven, Allah has sealed them off. So a couple questions about this. <clears throat> your eyes, your ears, and your, uh, your heart. How would you relate the eyes and ears to the heart? What do you think? Because those are the three parts of you that are being mentioned in ayah seven. What would be the relationship between the eyes, the ears, and the heart? For instance, you would see someone suffering and it wouldn't affect you. You wouldn't feel any um, sympathy or empathy. Okay, so you're talking about the case of a kafir. I'm just saying in general, what's the relationship between the eyes, and the ears, and the heart? Uh, Those are the gateways to the heart? Yes. And so, so allows the heart to experience the signs of God. Very good way to put it, mashallah. What you consume through those modalities shapes the condition of your heart. Is that like med school language, mashallah? Uh, so, so yeah. No, that's life language. Yeah, very good. <laughs> I'm mashallah. not in med school. <laughs> no, 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 I'm talking about uh, Abdullah. Abdullah says what you consume. Oh, sorry. sorry. Those two modalities. Uh, what you see in here uh, 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 reaches what your uh, reaches your heart. Shadik is saying witness of the heart. Yes, entrances to the heart. Yeah. Okay, very good. So what are we saying here? That the, the eyes and the ears are pathways of the heart's consumption. So your heart is consuming. Everything you say, you do, you hear, you see is being taken in and is affecting your heart. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, everything you're taking in is affecting your heart. So think of the drawing we made, uh, I think it was yesterday, 
when we have the heart, and then inside the heart, it might have been a couple days ago. What do you have inside the heart? You have your irada, your yearning. And then that informs your intention, and or fuels your intention, which informs your action. And just for just for, for those who, who, who missed class, let me draw it really quickly again. So you got your heart. And here we have irada. Here we have Niya, and then here we have Ahmed. Okay, so Irada would be your yearning in your heart. Niya would be the, uh, the intentions that are getting fueled by the heart, and Ahmed would be the actions that your Niya is making happen. So yearning, intention, and actions. And then these are further affecting your heart. So if you do a bad action, it will darken your heart. If you do a good action, it will brighten your heart. If you have a good intention, it will brighten your heart. If you have a bad intention and you fulfill the intention with an action, it'll darken your heart. If you have a bad intention but you don't do the action, it will brighten your heart. Okay. And so now here the question uh, in IS6, which one is causing which? IS6 says they rejected. IS7 says Allah has sealed them off. Which one is causing which? Meaning, if we were to imagine words at the beginning of IS7, would the word be because or would the word, word be therefore? Is the uh, they rejected because Allah sealed them off or they rejected therefore Allah sealed them off? Uh, the heart also has eyes and ears of its own metaphysical. Uh, yeah, I'm speaking not of the physical heart here. I'm speaking of uh, the spiritual heart. Uh, important uh, uh, correction. So Abu Rahma is saying, therefore, Allah has sealed them off, or uh, they have rejected, therefore, Allah has sealed them off. Uh, they rejected, therefore Allah sealed them off. Anyone was anyone want to say because that they rejected because Allah sealed them off? Yeah, could be the other way as well. Hey Sammy, what do you think? I'm not going to give an opinion at this time. I can either confirm or deny. Yeah. Uh, or all the rest of you, Ahant, what do you think, Mister? I have absolute certainty of God. Um, I mean, um, could a way to, you know, think about this be where, you know, you are in control of your own rejection. So, you know, whatever your eyes and ears let in or the way they like let in can be the condition, you know, of your heart, you know, okay. which can then lead to rejection. So no one is like born in rejection okay. for themselves. Okay, so you're saying, therefore, they rejected, therefore, Allah has sealed them off. Okay. Oh, by the way, those of you who've ever heard my story about, about the Hindu kid who became Muslim, and then, you know, he was asking about uh, no longer drinking, and I said, you know, uh, uh, I said, don't change anything right now, and he said, well, all the guys that I was getting hammered drunk with in the past are the guys in the front row of Jummah, that's Ahat right here. Okay. 
<laughs> so everyone gets this long to to to, <laughs> to hunt. <laughs> okay. In any case, so so <clears throat> the common textbook Sunni view is they're both true. Okay. That Allah, that that you are uh, rejecting, and that Allah is cut is uh, cutting you off, is sealing you off. Okay. And so a way to get a sense or to help make sense of this is to shift from the objective to the subjective. Because look at how the ayah is being written. As for those who have rejected, uh, it's the same for them whether you warn them or not. Okay. Meaning, you, Allah Ta'ala is speaking to, in this case the Prophet, peace be upon him, you keep warning. Okay. Uh, you keep warning, and I mean, it's the same to them whether or not they, they, they are believing, they're going to reject, okay, whether or not you warn them. Okay. Now, so what are we saying here? And this takes a couple, this takes a bit of effort to try to explain. And some of you have, have, have gone through this with me before. Consider yourself to have free will. Okay. At the same time, consider everybody else in this class to be pre-written. You, as far as you're concerned, have free will. Meaning I'm deciding to go like this right now, right? As far as you're concerned, Allah wrote for me to go like this. Meaning keep yourself in your subjective space, how you are interacting with the world. Because your interaction with the world is a subjective experience. So, you have free will from your perspective, and from your perspective, I am pre-written. From my perspective, I have free will, and from my perspective, you are pre-written. So, give it time, because some of us are not used to looking in a subjective space. Uh, but much of the Quran is speaking to you according to your subjectivity. Now, let's take it a step further. From the lens of free will, the day of judgment is a day where what is going to happen to me? From the lens of my free will, on the day of judgment, I am going to get what I earned. Good. Or if Allah wills, he's going to give me better. Good. I'm going to see justice manifest. From the lens of everything is pre-written, the day of judgment becomes the day of whatever Allah wants to give mercy to. So if you are watching my judgment, you are seeing, number one, I'm pre-written, and that Allah is giving me whatever amount of mercy that he wants. When I am looking at my judgment, I'm looking at the choices that I made. So give it time uh, to, to try to make sense of the subjective space. Because again, the way we've been teaching Dean uh, in our society is purely in an objective world, not in a subjective lens, even though almost your entirety of your human experience is subjective. So, meaning, do you understand the point that I'm looking at the world through my eyes? And through my own eyes, I have free will. Through my own eyes, you're all pre-written. Now, <clears throat> 
Well, if that hasn't gotten your head spinning yet, let's take it a step further. Illustrating the different ways that uh, that um, that predestination also plays out in your life. So let's say you have two twins. Yeah. Twin number one, twin number two. And their whole lives, they've lived exactly the same way. And let's say at the exact same time, separately, a person comes to each of them asking for help, asking for money. Okay. Twin one gives that person a dollar. Twin two gives that person a dollar. So far, so good. They've done exactly the same. Now, <clears throat> twin one, that person who gave him a dollar, that person took the dollar and used it to buy food. Done. Twin two, that person was so grateful and inspired that that person only spent 50 cents on food and, and gave the other 50 cents to someone else in need. So who got the higher reward? They both did the same thing. Twin two got the higher reward, right? Because that person, twin two, unintentionally even inspired someone else. That part, the result of your actions are also pre-written. Uh, Mohi, I'm saying subjective, not relative. So the consequences of your actions are also pre-written, meaning they are beyond your control. And literally, you have one person who does all this work and they will get rewarded for everything that they did. You get another person who does exactly the same work and had a much greater impact for whatever reason, Allah is in that person even higher. But he's not negating anything that the first person did. That's also an important part. Okay, this we could, we could talk about uh, uh, even more in a bit, but let's add the collective aspect of free will and predestination. We talk about free will and predestination in terms of subjective, as well as what happens on the Day of Judgment, as well as consequences of action. Now let's move into the collective. What you find in most societies is that, or in, in communities, people tend to lean more towards one than the other. So, for example, in the subcontinent, we have this whole idea of kismet, right? Right? That uh, you know that my destiny is positive, my destiny is negative. Yeah. It becomes the responsibility of the scholars and the preachers and teachers to bring people back towards the center. So, if you have a society where people believe in fatalism, that this is all beyond my control. It becomes my responsibility to preach to them, no, you are responsible for your actions. You are responsible for your destiny. Because why? Because every version of every religion in each state is going to be state-sponsored and state-influenced. So power is going to tell you, yes, you're poor because God loves you. And so you should remain poor because God loves people who are suffering. Just make sure you pay your taxes. And so it becomes the responsibility to, uh, to bring people back towards the center, okay? where they see that they have responsibility for their plight, that it's not just, okay, I'm poor and I'm just going to live. Okay? This is related to a question asked all the way at the beginning, where we talked about uh, people who just escape, uh, escape, uh, accept their plight and not focus on healing or anything or allow themselves to be oppressed. Mm -mm. So does that make sense? 
that when you see a society that is leaning more in one direction, then you have to bring that back towards the center. Okay, that's the second part. That's the responsibility of the scholars, the preachers, and teachers. The third part, which is the most practical and personal, if you have a Quran translation or Mus'haf in front of you, go to Surah 57. And in Surah 57, uh, it's around Ayah 19, around Ayah 19 or 20, somewhere around there. And I'm very happy we've already made it this far and my, my, inter my computer has not crashed. I discovered it's actually one computer that's crashing. Okay. So I, uh, um, 19, no, I 20. And I'll just briefly go through the translation. Know that the life of this world is but an amusement and a diversion and an adornment and boasting to one another in competition in the increase of wealth in children, like the example of rain, whose resulting plant growth pleases the tillers, then it dries and you see it turn yellow, and then it becomes debris. And in the hereafter is severe punishment and forgiveness from a law and approval. And what is the worldly life except for the enjoyment of delusion? 21, race toward the forgiveness of your Lord in a garden whose width is like the width of the heavens and the earth. Prepare for those who believe in Allah's messages, messengers. That is the bounty of Allah, which he gives to whom he wills, and Allah's possessor of great power. Now, ayah 22. No disaster strikes upon the earth or among yourselves, except that it is in a register before we bring it into being. That is easy for Allah, so that you do not despair over what has eluded you, nor boast over what Allah has given you. Allah does not like the people who are deluded and boastful. Now, what are we saying here? That your struggle is pre-written. Your ease is pre-written. And so, if you are, if you are suffering loss, take it as pre-written. If you have been given prosperity, take it as pre-written. So now let me put it practically to, to come back to this conceptual point to help make sense. Okay, first an easy point. So <clears throat> uh, some of you heard the story from me. I was meeting uh, some uh, a friend of mine for dinner and I parked my car right in front of the restaurant and I'm looking everywhere to see if there's a sign saying no parking. And I'm looking really carefully. I don't see a single sign. I park, uh, so I leave my car, go inside, eat, and then I come out, ticket. And I look right in front of the car, right before my eyes, was a sign that says no parking. Good. But when I was first there, looking for it, I literally did not see the sign. It was pre-written for me to lose that 50 bucks. Good. Good. So what am I saying here? That the real value of free will versus predestination is not the hair splitting struggle of trying to make sense of it. Like I said, defaults when you thought is that they're both true. And then I give you the subjective to help try to make sense of it. And then what am I saying? The practical value is to help you cope with life. So if you have a loved one who has died, what do we naturally do? We think, okay, if only I did this, if only I did that, maybe they'd still be here. I should have said this or I should have done that. But 
this is to help you cope with the fact that it was beyond your control. Likewise, on the other side, if you're hit with prosperity, that was also a gift from Allah. That was, that was also a, a test from Allah. Like imagine you have four people with identical resumes all applying exactly for the same job. One of those people is going to get the job, and it could be the one that the boss just happened to notice the uh, resume. And so, uh, so I also have to be humble in the sense that, okay, it was Allah's gift to me that I received the job that I received. Okay. Yeah. So here we have four parts. One is a subjectivity of, of, well, actually you can even say before that we had just the fact of free will and predestination and so many thought they're both true. And then uh, from there, uh, the subjectivity, I have free will from my perspective, all of you are pre-written from my perspective. Then we looked at the effect of the day of judgment. Either it's a day of justice or it's a day of Allah's mercy, depending on which vantage point you're at. Then we also spoke about consequences in dunya of action. I probably should have done that before the day of judgment, where two people can have the same consequence, the same action, same intention, and yet one has a greater reward without reducing the other person. And then we talked about the social responsibility uh, toward a society. And then last, we spoke about the most important part, which is coping with life, navigating with life, that there are some things that are beyond my control. Uh, resume review is by AI nowadays, sure, but still, at the end of the day, somehow or another, the algorithm is going to face this person or that person. Uh, scene from Kingdom of, of Heaven comes to mind. It was the end of his time. Yeah. Yeah. And so, just like with this virus, yes, that social distancing is, is free will, and yet if you get hit with it, that is pre-written. You have two people that have been smoking for, for 30 years, one person gets emphysema, the other one does not. That is pre-written. Two people are smoking. This person gets emphysema. This person does not. Yet this person's kid gets emphysema. You know, pre-written. There's a major aspect of life that is pre-written. And for that, you try to make peace with. Okay, having said all that, let's get into some of the questions. And I'm going to work from the bottom up. Um, how do we think, how should we think here about pre-will, predestination, the Quran is telling us how to think, how should we think? At the very least, if all you know is free will, that you are responsible for your actions, that's all you need. And then the second thing all you need is to know that there are some things that are beyond your control. Good. And that is written by Allah, which means what is hitting you in life uh, is not a punishment, but it was Allah's will. Mitra, where do we draw the line between something as a consequence of our action and it being pre-written? Uh, I mean, if it's consequence, it's a consequence of your action if you can see a definite link. Um, it's still pre-written. Uh, but so, for example, all right, uh, an issue that comes up uh, in my office with undergrad. Suppose I'm disrespectful to my, to my mom, and then I get a flat tire. Is there a relationship between the two? If you can't find a cause and effect relationship, no. People always ask when things are going wrong, is this Allah punishing me? I'm not of the school that says punishment happens in this world. Consequence happens in this world, but not punishment. Punishment happens in, in uh, the next world. Um, I have a belief that action of one becomes a predestined event in the other person's life based on Allah's will and the cycle goes running the whole world. Would that be considered the same? I'm not, uh, sadly, I'm not understanding um, uh, your point, so if I can ask you to explain further. Um, 
is this is the hard problem of consciousness, right? Uh, I'm not sure if I understand your point. Is God saying sealed off in a permanent way? Oh, very important question, Stephanie Lee. In 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 these models of of taqwa of kufr and nafaq, we're talking about the full scenario, meaning the 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 ideal person of taqwa and the archetypical person of kufr. So ayah six and seven would be someone who has reached a point of no return. Whereas we know that even in the time of the Prophet, peace be upon there were people who even fought against Muslims. They would literally be kafirs, and then later they became Muslim. And and uh, and so uh, here we're speaking of the of the archetypical uh, person who has reached a point of no return. Um, uh, Lutfi, if Allah is al-Jabbar, how can will anyone do kufr unless Allah has sealed their hearts? I think we may have uh, answered that. Let me know if we have not. Yo, Ahan, squad up. It uh, doesn't look like there's a question there. Okay, let's go back to the bottom. Uh, is not this, is not some things beyond our beyond, beyond control? All are predestined. None of it is in our control. Um, again, the point that I'm making is you have control over your actions. Okay. From my lens, your whole person is pre-written. From your lens, you have control of your actions and you have consequences. Yeah. And give it time, give it time. It takes some time to, to, to make sense of this. The hard part of this is we're used to looking at the way through, through an objective. And I'm saying that um, we're actually seeking to change our view. You didn't answer regarding verse seven. Why would Allah seal the hearts of the people uh, who need help the most? Uh, not if they're rejecting God. Uh, but the, the harder to swallow answer regarding number seven is, is it not true that Allah is free to give reward to whomever he wills and he's free to punish whomever he wills without justification? Yeah. Um, we have to accept that. Uh, Ofa, abuse and oppression. Some scholars sadly use religious rhetoric to justify what politicians do so they don't have to bring them to the center. What should an individual response be? So that is, uh, that's a, a bit more of a, of a collective challenge. Uh, some scholars are, unfortunately, yeah, paid off, right? Azali, Imam al-Ghazali just goes on the attack with full force, that there's some scholars whose goal is to please Allah, and there's some scholars whose goal is to please the prince. Uh, Rumi goes on the attack following al-Ghazali's lead. And there are those... That should be distinguished from those that are looking at their methodology and saying, okay, my methodology, my understanding, okay, we should not be revolting. We have to distinguish between those two. But the goal is, is still to, to develop, uh, to, I mean, well, let me take a step back. It's not a problem to go uh, to, um, what's the word, to, to go for a second and third opinion as well. If the entirety of the community of scholars has the same opinion, then it's probably worth considering. Uh, if uh, this particular scholar who uh, is saying, no, you must stay down, it's worth considering, but the Prophet also says, take fatwa from your own heart. Even if other people have given fatwa, even if other people have given fatwa. But it is a, a bigger point, uh, a bigger conversation. This is especially, uh, this has especially been relevant with some big scholars in your country. Um, um, who lost a lot of sense of integrity because they sided with the state. And as we know, this has also been the case with a number of scholars uh, throughout, the, throughout the, the, the world. Guy who smoked for 10 years and got lung cancer, is that still predestination? Um, 
Yes, and the person can and should still seek healing and can and should still seek forgiveness. What is the point of reward? Uh, he who wills uh, punishes he who wills. Uh, we're not talking about arbitrary because we're also saying that this is not arbitrary. Okay. Uh, we're saying it is still willful. Okay. It's not like a game that Allah Ta'ala is just picking and choosing. The first point I'm making is that first we have to accept that he's free to give guidance to whomever he wills in the same way he's free to give wealth to whomever he wills. Um, let's see, are there any later ayahs that Allah states he punishes those who reject Islam? Like, uh, are you talking about, uh, for example, are you talking about apostasy? Uh, not sure if I'm understanding. Ooh, lively, lively set of questions. Okay. Isn't there a limit to our ability to understand free will and predestination at the end of the day? Uh, uh, it is submission, but the point being uh, that there, uh, to help cope with life, also understand predestination. To help cope with life, also understand that there are things that are beyond your control. Meaning, in the case of social distancing, I think it was uh, uh, Dr. Nasheen mentioned that in the case of, of social distancing, I might do everything that I'm supposed to be doing, and still somehow I get COVID-19. Can I ask you a question, the follow-up? Yeah, sure. So what I was asking was, are there later ayahs that kind of set up the same way where it's talking about people who rejected and then followed up by those are the people who Allah has sealed their hearts or ears or eyes. And it's so we, set up more like, therefore, Allah has sealed their hearts, eyes and ears. So the answer to your question is yes. Uh, I'd have yeah. to find specific references. And then we also have passages that say uh, Allah guides those who will to be guided. And we also have passages that say, Allah guides those whom he wills. It's literally the whole picture. But what I'm suggesting is the hard part uh, for a lot of us to digest this is that we're used to thinking in an objective sense. Let's think back to when we spoke about the attributes of Allah. Uh, back then I suggested that we're used to think of the attributes of Allah as his, for lack of a better term, personality types. He's most merciful, eternally merciful, he's master, so forth and so on. And I'm suggesting to shift that to seeing this is who Allah is to you. He's most merciful to you. He's eternally merciful to you. That is a subjective perspective. But give it time. It's uh, this is this is often one of the, the the hardest lessons of this whole of the whole course is getting used to subjective thinking, which is something we all do, but we all pretend that we don't do it. Okay. Uh, is it that we should understand free will and predestination as a binary idea, but rather one that works within the other? Uh, the answer to both of those is yes. And, but what I'm saying is try to shift away from the hair-splitting theoretical aspect of it and move it into the practical. The practical is that I know things that I control. I can control things like what I'm doing with my hand right now. And there are also things I have no control over, like when I'm going to be born, I have no control over that. When I'm going to die, I have no control over that. The consequences of my action, I have no control over that. And then, and then other things like when struggle is going to hit me. Okay, give it time. Are there, uh, let's see. I think that sort of summarizes uh, all the questions, even though I've not satisfied all the questions, but I think uh, I've tried to, to answer them all. Uh, one, one question. Yes, sir. So um, this is very interesting. Uh, how do you situate this, you know, this subjective, objective view in the history of Islamic and the theology, like among the schools? 
does it match with one particular school of theology or others is something creative that insight that you've had? Uh, it seems to me uh, that the objective outlook itself is a modern outlook, uh, going hand in hand with the rise of science. That science is saying that there are objective truths and, and objective, or not objective truths, but objective things that we can measure. And I think that has trickled in to our theological study. So I'm saying uh, what I am suggesting seems to be more within the realm of default of the history of study uh, until the past few hundred years. That's my thesis. What do you think? You're, you're an expert, Marshall, on modernity. No, no, no. My, so let me ask it a different way. So, for example, like the Ash'aris, right? Yeah. We have a certain view of our actions and who created them. Um, the Mu'tazilis would have a, a different view about our actions. So these are, you know, schools of theology that have been passed down to us. So is this kind of subjective move that you're making, does it cohere with one or other school like that? Or is it something that, you know, you, uh, you're coming up with? So, so which, is not, which, is, which is not at all to critique it. I no, mean, no, 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 no. Uh, what I'm saying is that I got the idea from them that, uh, that I can't say it's more Ashari or Maturidi or anything like that. I'm saying that's where I got the idea from. And I'm saying that, that the text still says the same thing, but the way today we're reading the text has changed. That's what I'm suggesting. Makes sense. Um, let's see what else. Uh, some questions sent to me, how this factor into addiction? I don't know that it would change the scenario very much uh, in the sense that addiction is either the result of my choices or someone else's choices, like if I'm born with addiction. And so that's the suffering that I've been hit with. And then, the, uh, and so we look at the suffering aspect of it as, or the struggle aspect of it as okay, it was Allah's will, because you have another person who may not have addiction issues and has the same amount of consumption or what have you. And then uh, they, uh, but they don't have the, the same issue. Uh, let's see. Science indicates that time itself is relative, depends on how we move in space. That is quantum physics. I'm speaking of Newtonian physics. That Newtonian physics is, is entirely objective. Whereas quantum physics seems to seem to have uh, much more subjectivity in it. Uh, what about nations who are destroyed because of the wrongdoings? Um, there, uh, I would say, is a consequence of of corruption. It would be outside of the realm here of predestination, except when we're looking at those nations. Uh, all right, we still have another moment or two. Any other last questions before we call it a day? Uh, I don't know if you're raising your hand or just putting your hand in front of the lens. Okay. Okay. Uh, I've also, Omar Al-Hadr, that was so confusing. Again, I'm saying if all you get out of it is, number one, the definition of kufr. Okay, we had a lot of stuff there. Number two, you are responsible for your actions. And then number three, even I'm putting number two, is that there are some things in life that are beyond your control. If that's all you got, then alhamdulillah, things are good. I was giving some of the philosophical uh, 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 underpinnings. I've also been given uh, a request uh, uh, regarding people who are getting hit with COVID-19. Uh, COVID There's also the friend of, of one of our classmates here who's a physician in St. Louis 
who uh, who has caught it and now he's in a ventilator. So so we are also asking Allah Ta'ala to provide cure for all the people who have been hit with suffering. And and we're asking Allah Ta'ala to 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 also give all of us resistance against against any of these these illnesses and such, uh, and especially for the people who are literally in harm's way, whether it's being about physicians or the people who are doing essential work like uh, working in the grocery store or trucking, as well as uh, all of our family members. And Ya Allah, please give shifa to all of them. Ya Allah, please give shifa to all of them. Ya Allah, please give shifa to to all of them. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk Wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen May Allah Ta'ala reward you all and we'll continue again inshallah next time Wa akhiru da'wana an